Hey everybody, this is TA. Thank you for joining me here on the Recourse Podcast. Today, I'm super excited to welcome back Kay Levesque. She was here during the first season talking about her ministry, Love to Hope. And today she brought her husband along as we continue and dive deeper into this conversation about human and sex trafficking. I know that's been a super hot topic as the successful movie Sound of Freedom was out this summer. And so we thought it was the perfect time to continue this conversation. A couple of words of warning. Number one, we do want to let you know that the audio recording didn't turn out as well as we had hoped. However, we did our best in the post-edit and really felt that due to the nature of the conversation, I really wanted to make sure to still put this out there. Even though there may be moments that are a little bit harder to hear, I think it's still well worth the listen. And number two, we are talking quite frankly about sex trafficking and pornography. So if you need to, please listen with care. All right. Well, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Sean and Kay. All right. Well, we're going to get started, and I am so excited to welcome back Kay. You were on the show last year, but this time you have a special guest. you want to introduce yourself and who's with you? Well, my better half. This is my husband, Sean. Yay. And it's just always so such an honor that God allows us to do ministries together. Mm-hmm. We serve at Youth for Christ. And we've been running Love to Hope now since we founded it in 2016. Very cool. And what does this year look like different from last year for you guys? What's new? What's been going on? Oh, personally, let's see. We've got uh, almost 20-year-old son who had a first year of college and then spent some time doing some camp counseling. So got a daughter who started PSEO, which is dual enrollment, where you can take college courses while you're in high school. So she launched that. Our youngest son is entering high school. So lots of transition as far as personal ministry wise, just growth. I would say growth has been what's been going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Both in youth for Christ and in, and in Uh, Yeah, I think that's awesome. And so growth on college campus and mostly just on college campuses, are you seeing it also within your churches? What, where do you think you're seeing all that growth? Yeah, well, with Youth for Christ, God just keeps opening doors for us to reach more kids with the gospel. So that's really exciting. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is always my prayer. How can we reach more kids in hopes that, that we can prevent more kids from being caught up in this and trafficking? There's like synergy with Youth for Christ and Love to Hope in that. Um, we feel like it's some of the best preventative work out there, you know? Loving yeah. on kids, giving them hope, and reminding them whose they are, not just who they are. And then with Love to Hope, obviously the movie that came out, uh, we got uh, quite a few requests in our inbox uh, for questions and speaking. Um, but even before that, this year, it just seems like more people are uh, seeking information, which is a delight to be able to provide that. Um, so as he opens doors, we just continue to walk through them, and it's been good. That's I think that's fantastic. Now, the last time, Kay, when you and I had this conversation and you kind of shared about how the, your ministry kind of came into evolution, you were uh-huh. talking about um, that it kind of came through you. You were kind of the first in the family to, you were watching a documentary, if I remember correctly, yeah. and you were yeah. getting into that. So Sean, tell me about what was that like for you to hear what your wife had experienced and then step into that space with her? I want to hear it from your perspective. Yeah, well, for me, I I was a little hesitant at first, but I would come home from work each day 
and she would share with me what she's learning, which wasn't all that fun to listen to. Uh, but, you know, because God puts righteous anger in us, uh, you can't hear about those things and not do something about it. And so uh, I was a little slower into it, but it was when I read a book uh, by Linda Smith from Share Hope International. What's the name of the book? From Congress to Brothel. Yeah, From Congress to Brothel. That uh, in it, she was talking about a trip that she had taken over to India. And she was explaining what she saw. And it was like a big warehouse district in this particular uh, was a brothel. And it was a brothel of children. And whenever there was a new virgin child, uh, the line was around the block. And she was, uh, you know, girl as young as five years old. And uh, that, when I read that, it, uh, it sparked something in me to do more. And I think from there, God just kept giving us more opportunities to talk about it together. Sure. And also um, learn more about it and get involved in our community with the organizations that were doing the work. So I blame it all on her still. <laughs> but it's been a fun ride. It's been a fun ride. You know, whenever you... Uh, are reminded that you're right where God wants you, you're within his will, there's uh, there's peace that comes there, as hard as it can be sometimes. Um, there's just that peace that surpasses understanding, and it's super encouraging and rewarding. Yeah. Well, I want to kind of get into the meat of this, because I think one of the big things that after KU and I chatted, we had spent a lot of time in the first podcast talking about your ministry, which was fantastic. But I think a lot of people kind of had commented, I know a couple people specifically messaged and made a comment of like, oh, I want to know more about what is, when we talk about human trafficking or sex, tra sex trafficking, what does that mean? What does that look like directly within my own community? Are we talking globally or what does that look like? Do you guys want to take some moments to describe, kind of give us an idea there's a lot of misconceptions mm -hmm. out there, I think, of what trafficking is. And since it's such a big topic right now, maybe break it down for us a little yeah. bit. Thank you for that. That's one of our favorite things to do is to let audiences understand human trafficking in a way that drives it home and allows them to have opportunities to make a difference in the prevention of it. So while Sound of Freedom was fantastic for increasing a desire to learn more and kind of heightening awareness, it was really focusing on international trafficking, which doesn't look the same as what takes place in the United States. So Love to Hope focuses on domestic minor sex trafficking. And it's different here. And so when you see movies like Taken or Sound of Freedom, you think, oh, human trafficking is terrible. I'm so glad it's over there. <laughs> and I'm so glad that we have heroes like Liam Neeson and Tim Ballard. <laughs> white bands and to be careful in public and to have their sense about them. 
but most trafficking in the United States is coercion. And so human trafficking always has elements of force, fraud, or coercion. There's two main types of human trafficking. There's labor trafficking and there's sex trafficking. And so on a global level, when you hear there's 40 million slaves in the world today, in modern in the modern day slave trade, that's combining those two main types. That's combining labor trafficking and sex trafficking, and that's looking at an international level. But it's a huge problem in the United States, $32 billion industry just in the U.S. Um, and so we're seeing trafficking more through that coercion lens. So that's really, that's really what we try to talk about is what does it look like for a, you know, 13 to 17-year-old boy or girl to be coerced that they would actually be trapped as a victim of sex, of sex trafficking. And so that's a huge thing. We see that through what's called Romeo pimping, primarily in the United States. That's that older boyfriend sort of figure. He comes in and he exploits the vulnerability um, of every human, which is to be loved, and provides that pseudo boyfriend. For sure. And then tricks and grooms. And we see a lot of familial trafficking in the United States, unfortunately. So that's when we have a parent or a grandparent or a family member selling one of their own uh, children to usually support drug habit or to pay rent. So in a community that has drugs or has poverty, uh, that has the internet, uh, you know, is susceptible to trafficking. So, and then online sexual exploitation is a huge problem too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah this platform. Thank you, by the way, for the opportunity. Uh, I just want to really make sure it's clear that what the was seen in that movie is not the majority of what's happening in the United States. And uh, I just want to make sure anyone that hears this podcast walks away knowing for a fact that what they saw is not what's happening in the U.S. The majority of it. Now, sure, kids do get involved and they're taken in, but it's, it's rare. Um, what Keith said is what happened. So what they saw and what is happening here in the U.S. are two very different things. If they can remember that, um, and then choose to take that step to learn more about what's happening in their own community, like Kate just mentioned, um, adult, their eyes will be open and they'll be able to find some really great pathways of engagement. Yeah, I like that. And I want to come back to the idea of how people can help. But before we get to that, I want to talk a little bit about who are considered or what are you seeing, especially within our communities here in the States that are kind of more the vulnerable populations, where who is more at risk for those those type of situations to come into their space and for them uh -huh. we're, we're uh -huh. yeah yeah well i'll say the easy one okay the number one the number one vulnerability is just age kids kids just don't know how to look at a situation or a person or a relationship and be able to um, see right from wrong uh see a wolf in sheep's mm -hmm. clothing Many adults can't do that well. <laughs> and uh, when, when people do this for a living, they're very, very good at it. And so that makes any child um, an easy target. Now, if you try and drill down a little deeper, there are other vulnerabilities that are more specific that make you even more vulnerable. But please, as people listen to this, know that it can happen to any 14-year-old. And we're talking kids that grow up with two parents in a home that love them, that the kids love the Lord. I mean, it really can.
heard those stories. So age should be number one. I'll let you go. Mm-hmm. I think the important thing is to remember what I alluded to earlier. The number one need of every human is to be loved. It's to be known. It's to matter to somebody. And so that can just right there be an easy vulnerability to exploit. But other vulnerabilities that can factor in runaway youth are huge. Uh, Usually the statistic is within 48 hours of a teen running away, they're found by a pimp. One in, excuse me, one in three of those teenagers end up trafficked. So we actually just participated in the first ever Minneapolis Big Search through Free International fantastic organization that has turnkey programs in cities to look for missing kids. And and so that is one of the big reasons that we are out hunting for missing kids. Our job was to canvas. We weren't on the op team or anything exciting like that. But to let the community know <laughs> there are kids running from something bad to something worse. And so runaways are highly susceptible. A lot of times people think trafficking is sex in exchange for money, but it really is any commercial sex act traded for any item of value. So if you have a runaway who's on the streets, needs food, needs shelter, needs clothing, uh, that can be what is traded for the commercial sex act, which can include pornography, prostitution, stripping, um, any commercial sex act. So that's important to know, too, because sometimes a teenager can be tricked to think this is a trade, right? This is, we, we, we set this up as this is a, a business. You need a place to sleep, and I can find a way to provide that for you. But that actually is considered trafficking as well. So runaway youth, youth from uh, foster care systems, especially that are broken, um, especially when they're aging out. So that can be a huge problem. There's no one there, and they're just a a target. Um, They're gang-related trafficking, so being involved in a gang isn't – they're looking again. What are they looking for? Love, acceptance, a family. Um, Obviously, there's going to be socioeconomic. There's going to be learning disabilities. The LGBTQ plus community is highly susceptible to trafficking. But you were really to peel back a lot of those vulnerabilities you still find at its core that need to be loved. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense um, in that what you're saying, that need for love, and if you can, sometimes you're finding it in such inauthentic ways and you don't realize um, that what you're doing is is really harming mm-hmm. you because you're just so broken and, and needing something. I think a lot of people get tripped up on the word trafficking and thinking that it's somebody taken from one space into right. another space. And that's not always true. Right. Correct. Trafficking does not mean movement. Yeah. yeah. It okay. doesn't. It doesn't. We can give you resources. There are resource books uh, that you can read on our website that we recommend where you know, there's a story, Teresa Flores, for example, was trafficked out of her home for 18 months. Her parents had no idea. Um, and she was being live now, but pictures of her were taking me raped. And she wanted to get those pictures back, and they said, this is how they'll do it. Well, we know that she'll never get those pictures back. And so, no, um, many, many trafficking situations happen, uh, are happening, and kids are going to school by day, and they're being trafficked by night. They're still a part of their family, right? They're living at home, but uh, but they're uh, involved in this exploitation that no one knows about, so... 
Yeah. And I'd say that's the more scary piece because I think we all have a pretty good idea. Like you said, the movie Taken or, or Sound of Freedom where there was like a physical movement of somebody and they're missing and somebody's looking for them versus a vulnerable teen that maybe decides to leave home or even being at home is choosing to do something or has been coerced into something. Mm -hmm. That's a much scarier space within our own communities that I think we're a little naive. Absolutely. And the, the big danger, the biggest danger is really what we're allowing into our homes. It is the internet. It is the cell phones. It's the social media. It's just non-monitored parental control devices in the hands of young children that are accessing things, particularly pornography, that is setting them down pathways where they don't know how to get up out they don't know how to there's a lot of shame and blame and they're meeting people online in circles that they probably shouldn't be in and so that's one of the things we really try to educate parents on we have a course called parent power we're really let's take a look at what's happening on social media and what are some tools and conversations we can have to, to make a difference in, in combating the online sexual exploitation, the sexting, and just the narrative that we're seeing through the devices. Yeah, there are two yeah. great resources that I'd love to recommend um, that help paint a picture, this portrait that we're talking about right now. Um, one is the Surgeon General report that came out in February or March of this year on loneliness and isolation. It is, it's fascinating in that um, they've done such a good job and uh, honing in and being able to give us statistics that we can utilize to help um, create programming or change some of the ways maybe that we do ministry or uh, do outreach and things like that. And that's open to anyone. You can go and look that up at any time. So I recommend that. Now, to coincide with that, just this week, Fight the New Drug um, released uh, a newsletter that has tons of incredible statistics on what kids are dealing with in the world of sexual temptation, specifically sexting and all the things that come with that and pornography, because it's, it's the enemy using loneliness and isolation to draw people into these dark places. They get them to this place where they want to belong. They're willing to send a new picture of themselves, and then they're caught up and they have no idea how to get out of it. They're trapped. Right. So. Right. And then those kids don't have the frontal cortex or they don't have the emotional capacity to make, you know, wise decisions on how to get themselves back out or yeah. to involve adults or uh, safe spaces. Sometimes some kids don't feel that they always have a safe mm-hmm. space to help them out of those scenarios. Um, I was going to ask, um, what what have you seen changing in the world of uh, within our communities? And just even as you're talking, I'm going, I know the obvious answer here is just how social media and how it, the Internet is continuing yeah. to erode or allow for so much more access points for kids? I'm assuming that would be your answer. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Hands down, um, the the dangers on the internet have been perpetuating. Pornography is really the gateway drug to human trafficking, and it's just easily accessible. And the average age that um, a young boy sees pornography is nine. So we're not really talking to our kids young enough to explain what what happens when you've seen something and you don't know how to process it. So having open communication with our children to let them know you don't have to sit in, in the shame and this weird 
whether you call it a cocktail mixture of, mm -hmm. of shame and pleasure and all the things, and you don't know how to process that. And so, so we have to have yeah. conversations. But yeah, definitely online has been perpetuating. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm sure, and I feel there are so many, and even I, I'll put myself in that camp. Feel very unprepared as a parent to navigate that conversation. That's a when you like step one is acknowledging that that could or has happened. Then what's the next step? How do you how do you process that conversation with a child? And I'd be like, uh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, it's a, it's all back to awareness and education. It's about understanding if it likely is at this day and age, not if they're going to come across pornography, but when. And so it's just it's accepting that we can't overly shelter our kids. I think I even said on the last time we met that ignorance is a state. So we can't over, we can't so over shelter them that we assume they haven't seen it from a friend or out of friend's house or even found it themselves. So we have to be mentally prepared for conversation and how we're going to respond if and when that time comes that we find out our kids are are caught up in something and it's not just pornography but anything that could be believing the lies of this over sexually charged narrative that is yeah. is just out there and perpetuating so much of this yeah there's so much emotional damage that happens just from looking at pornography alone and the science that's coming out that supports that statement is just continual support validating what many psychologists have thought for years um but you add to that now there's this different component that we need to be even more worried about and that's kids are just looking at this at 10 11 and 12 years old they want to try it on their brothers and sisters and cousins and so there's this mutual um uh a desire um th they want to experience it because they're wondering what that's about because what they see uh what they think they see is that people are really enjoying what they're watching and uh and so they want to try it and so now we have a whole generation that's growing up looking at this and the peer-on-peer -peer sexual abuse that therapists are dealing with is at an all-time high so now we need to talk our kids because we know they've seen it at a young age very likely but then we want to protect our kids because it's I don't know if innocence is the best word. They innocently try and do what they're learning. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. So then we're putting also the extra layer of, uh, and I know parents all have different boundaries in this, of when you're sending a kid to a sleepover or things like that, like you're saying, we don't know who's in that home or what's happening with the kid down the street and what they've experienced. So then they're how they're responding to our, or like, what they're then trying with our children, things like that. So there's like this double-sided issue in that it's not just taking care of your own kids, but feeling like, who am I exposing mm -hmm. them to? What influencers are they having and things? That's a very scary place. And like you said, Kay, I really like the ignorance of <laughs> <laughs> like, let's go. like sometimes it's so much easier just to be like, no, no, we're all good and everybody's right. happy. <laughs> but important to remember that God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of sound mind. And yeah. so it's important that we we are processing the, this through wisdom, education, awareness, but not fear, because fear will try to get us to close up, close in, and isolate uh, from the very world that we're trying to make a difference in. So I think it's just really yeah. important that we we trust God with our kids and we teach them what we can, and we get counsel where we need it. 
but not be afraid. Yeah, I really like that, especially because we will never out out bubble a sinful world. Like we just can't bubble ourselves to the point. So I I agree. And we will never out protect a powerful God. And that's really his job. Oh, that's good. Mm -hmm. That's really good. I like that. Um, so the other flip side, we've talked, we've been talking about the sex trafficking side. Talk to me a little bit more about within our communities, what human trafficking looks like when people talk about, um, that side of the world. So talking about labor trafficking then, cause that's the two yes. main types. You've got the sex trafficking and the labor trafficking. Our primary expertise is in the sex trafficking, but we do have a class on labor trafficking and conscious consumerism. And really we like to focus through how we can reduce what I what we call our slavery footprint. So thinking about the fact that we as Americans are consumers and we desire cheap products and we want things cheap, but that produces cheap labor. And so we have to sometimes question, you know, why is this 99 cents? Is it 99 cents because the, the, the materials to, to make it are cheap or is it 99 cents because the humans that are are making it are slaves. So yeah. I think that, you know, this is where it gets dicey because it's very difficult to live completely fair trade. It's, it's almost impossible, but it is things that we try to encourage people to, to take before the Lord and say, where can I make changes in reducing my slavery footprint? So there's a great website called myslaveryfootprintsitemate.com. <laughs> And so that's a great one because it will help you to get a get an idea of where you shop, the products and brand names you buy, the how much produce versus meats, and and get an idea of how many slaves you have working for you. What's your slavery footprint number? And then you work to to reduce that best you can. Yeah. No, I like that a lot. I guess I just wanted to put an idea or a thought process of what that means when you talk about labor trafficking and things like that. So I'm assuming, again, it's vulnerable populations that get involved in that this is the only way they can make money or make a living or survive. Or sometimes, you know, um, we talk about when my husband and I lived in Thailand, um, you see a lot of uh, kids on the street um, begging and stuff. And it's the same thing where kids are pulled into that, not because they don't have homes or whatever, but people will will take them and and so mm-hmm. they they are more likely to get money from um tourists mm-hmm. and things yeah. like that so then they're taking advantage of that so definitely um, labor trafficking happens in, in the united states we have people that will come maybe from a temporary work visa into the country expectations mm-hmm. of promised job um promised pay and then papers are taken, there's threat of deportation, they end up in debt bondage. We see that in all industries, agricultural, cosmetics, door-to-door sales, restaurants, salons, nail salons, massage parlors. So that is happening in the United States when it comes, and there's a lot of ways to be aware of what to look for if you think you're suspecting that somebody is involved in labor trafficking. But again, we always want to give our audiences, like, what can I what can I do? And, and so it's definitely about consider consider the things that you're purchasing that are perpetuating the the demand for cheap labor, and then consider really how much you're you're consuming just to consume because you can. So we just buy because we can. We get tired of clothes because we're tired of them, and so 
we have this, I'm going to throw it out by a new one mentality. And sometimes that just is perpetuating the problem too. So it's kind of a, a self check a little bit. Yeah, I like that. Um, and I want to go back to um, this part of the conversation we started earlier, and we're going to come back full circle to it with the, again, the sound of freedom kind of being the hot topic of the summer. And with so many people thinking through what, what trafficking looks like, what are ways, what are things you're hoping these call to actions, or what does that sustainably look like for people to support or within their own communities? Talk to me more about that side of the issue. I think the most important thing that uh, the movie has done, I hope is doing at least to believers is getting us on our knees and giving us something more mm -hmm. specific to pray about. Uh, because when you see that, there, there are many truths in that there is some literary license, you know, artistic license that they use. But yeah, uh, for the most part, what you saw in that movie uh, is happening. And uh, now we know specifically how to pray. And so that is how we win our battles. We win our battles on our knees. And so uh, it seems cliche sometimes to even say it because we talk about it a lot. But I do believe that we can be praying more. And, uh, and yeah. if, if we would as a church be more committed to praying specifically against this darkness i think we could make some even bigger inroads than we've made already definitely continuing to increase your education uh, our website has a fantastic resource page where you can go there's a parent page as well so we've talked a lot about social media and online prevention and so and how do you have conversations with your kids and at what age and there's resources on there too so arming yourself with knowledge is really important especially if you're going to enter uh, a battle of fighting some of the injustices of this time you need to be educated or you can cause more damage we have misconceptions we have if i were you statements we have why don't why didn't you or why couldn't you or and so it's really important that we that we are educated and understand and then look for organizations in your community that are fighting vulnerabilities those are what are exploited so it doesn't have to be an anti-trafficking organization to be preventing trafficking if you're helping people get on their feet by finding jobs or you're mentoring them and you're a safe adult, if you're creating uh, somewhere they can go after school so they're not at home on their devices, if you have a healthy place, healthy adults that they can talk to when they do feel like they've got caught up in something they don't want to really tell, that, that is preventative measures and all the vulnerabilities that are exploited in whether it's homelessness or poverty, there's domestic violence, all of things feed trafficking. So plug in with organizations that are fighting vulnerabilities. Restoration, rescue, those usually take real qualified people to their counselors, their trained advocates, their caseworkers, their FBI, their law enforcement, their so the prevention side is where the majority of people can plug in. You can certainly find those other things, but there's not enough resources. There's not enough safe beds. There's not enough therapists. There's so how, we've got to prevent more boys and girls from ending up in it, and that's done through the things that I just mentioned. Yeah. Sure. Oh, I thought yeah. <laughs> well, Shared Hope International every year puts out grades for each state uh, on how we're doing in a variety of categories for uh, against the fight. And uh, 
Intervention is one of them, and actually Minnesota is gets an F. <laughs> Intervention, which hurts us. <laughs> we, yeah, like oh, 13, yeah. you know, okay, found out about it then, and um, and we know some incredible organizations that have been working at it just as long, um, and providing that kind of um, awareness that you're, you know, we're doing tonight. Uh, but we know that um, so many more people need to be educated. And the big piece is we need to get in front of those that are actually being targeted. Kids need to know this. And so we need to be able to get in front of more students to warn them uh, about what's out there and how this happens so easily and, and what to do if you find yourself in this situation. And so uh, that kind of education is, is key. And the more that we can get it out there, the better chance we have of, like you said, preventing more boys and girls from being trafficked. Yeah. Do you find that that's a, a hard struggle uh, or like a hard um, a sell for some parents? Because I can see where some families would make the argument, and I apologize for bringing this up, but, you know, the don't talk to my kid about suicide because mm -hmm. I don't want them to commit suicide. You know, like if you talk about it, it's going to breed more of that to happen. Does that make sense? Is that do you find that people, again, ignorance of this, I'd rather just not talk about it. Yeah. So it's hard to get in front of those kids. Absolutely. Or how they're definite. I think push back sometimes on the content, but it doesn't need to be graphic or sensationalized to be educational mm -hmm. and that you don't have to mm -hmm. scare kids to help them understand some of the dangers out there. So I think I think that statistically, I mean there was a there was a large thing in the past with bear that you know, you go in and you're telling kids don't do drugs, that makes them want to do drugs and the same thing with you know, don't commit suicide. Well, now I now I know about suicide. Statistically, that's just not how it's playing out. Many kids are always a better option, and you're not going to somehow. I mean, sin is sin, and Satan is on the prowl, and so he is going to find those vulnerabilities and create the temptations and open the environment, whether or not we've made them aware. So it would be so much better than to educate them and not have them be every parent knows their kids so that's why if you're going to have a speaker like us come into your school or your church youth group there's going to be some communication about who we are and what we'll say and that parent didn't make that choice but but majority will choose to have us have us speak because they would rather have their kids safe in the long run and lose maybe lose talk about a subject they were would have saved for later. You know what I'm saying? And rather talk about it. Oh, for sure. So yeah, there's gonna be people that are gonna choose to wait, that are gonna maybe just choose never to talk about that. But statistically that doesn't you know, doesn't play out to that hard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like it in the sense of I'm a selfish person of I think sometimes um the messenger really matters. And mm -hmm. so Sometimes as a parent, I love when other people can pour into mm -hmm. my kids because I think they get sick of me saying, you know, like everything. Mm -hmm. So I think it's so important that when we have adults who we trust to give messages like that to our kids, that's super important. Yeah. And that's so, that's such a valid point. Just because someone is presenting on a topic doesn't mean we put our kids under them. You have to do your research to know who is speaking what they're sharing, what their heart is, and ultimately, you know, for us, we do filter a lot of people through do they have sort of the wisdom of God on the 
to be able to communicate some of these dietary things. Yeah, and that is what it is. And um, I think sometimes us as parents, we it's sometimes I think it's the exact same situation people have with teachers. Well, I was I was a student, so therefore I know what teachers do. So as a parent, like I have parents, so I should know what my parents do. But life has changed so dramatically from when we were children, and the what parents are facing and how to prepare our kids for a world that doesn't even exist yet. We're talking about technology that's rapidly moving so mm -hmm. fast and jobs that don't exist that we want them to be prepared for. How do we stay ahead of those trends? And I think you're right, the downstream things, or the, sorry, the upstream thing, the things that we can be preventing, um, what, what we can do for populations to, to stop them from even becoming vulnerable. Mm -hmm makes a huge difference. And that's very encouraging to think of it that way, rather than always the reactive mm -hmm. stance of what can we do once it happens. All these proactive things, that, that's a very encouraging place. To Absolutely. And we are just such huge believers of it. And that's really, not really, you know, just that why we're with Youth for Christ, why, why it was such an easy yes for us when we were coming off the road. We still do all the awareness and education, love to hope it's busy. But not as busy as when we were on the road, but we are busy. And uh, we said yes to Youth for Christ because they are reaching the vulnerable and, the, and really the niche communities of the teen population. I work with pregnant and parenting teen moms. And so we're stepping into spaces to prevent. It, it, it is partly prevention work, and it's very synergistic that way. You said earlier, Sean, that Minnesota got an F in this kind of preventative piece. What did you think, or from what after you read that article, what areas do you think we could most improve on? Yeah, they, and maybe yeah, actually they were very clear that the, the number one reason uh, why we have the grade we do is because we aren't educating our youth. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. we're not getting into the schools um, and educating them on a regular basis so that they know uh, how. These predators probably have vulnerabilities and then what to do if it happens. Yeah. And I really don't want to open the door too much into this, but I do feel like I need to ask, do you feel that it's somewhat politicized and that's why there's not as many inroads when we're talking about public school versus the private school versus, or is that not, it's just something we just haven't gotten. You to know, yet. I have, I've sensed it in a few times, but I still do believe that, uh, this particular um, human rights issue um, floats about the political line. I, I really do believe that still. Um, and so I think most humans think this is a bad thing. <laughs> and, and that uh, when there's an opportunity to prevent this bad thing from coming to my community or happening in my school, um, I'm open to hearing more about it. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's great. One thing I want to point out before we go any further, any of the resources that we've mentioned throughout this whole time will be in the show notes. We'll make sure it has a nice, easy list. Like last time, right, easy, one click right to your website, to your resource page, things like that. I think the most important thing is anybody who's listening has access so that they can move forward if their spirit's moving, they're concerned about anything, or if they want to learn more. Those are so Absolutely. important. Um, Talk to me before we wrap up about what does Love to Hope have coming? And you are talking, you'd said that you've been tapped more now for certain, you know, people want you to speak more. What is that looking like for you coming up? Uh, it looks like some church presentations, some school, a couple school talks within the 
classrooms of some of the Christian schools locally, it looks like uh, a mission trip. We always teach a four-week course at our church, and then we lead a mission trip to someplace. Las Vegas has been in the past, and we're looking for different places as well. So it, just, it looks fairly consistent as far as bookings and, and hoping to get actually a large organization called Say Something that brings school assemblies on this topic on a grand scale. I mean, we're not the most exciting assembly speakers, so we're better in a classroom, but this is massive scale. And so that network has begun. So we're really good about uh, trying to connect people to people that can do it better than us in some cases. So being advocates for other organizations as well, would you add anything? Mm -mm. That's good. Yeah. No, well, we're excited, and I really appreciate, again, that you'd come and share and help give us a little bit of focus and a little bit of clarity in some of that. I'm sure that for some people that was eye-opening, you know, because some of us are still very much on the fringe of learning and, you know, mm -hmm. still living in this little blissful world of not knowing and not wanting to learn mm -hmm. more. So I appreciate that. Um, where can we find you guys online? How can we support you? What's the best thing? Yeah, well lovetohope.com is our website. You can find us there. There's a contact. We have a Facebook page. Uh, we um, we will travel and speak, but if this is prompted where people are thinking, I want someone to come to my school or my church or my youth group, reach out if we can't. We've got connections. There are people all over that we would recommend as speakers and awareness ambassadors that we could connect your community with so continue to get educated and learn the best mm -hmm. yeah i love that well okay again everything will be on the show notes so please check out all of that information and i just can't say thank you guys enough for sharing being articulate and just frank about what the reality is for our world and for our kids and our community well, thank you for the time yeah it's been yeah. great I just want to say one more time, thank you so much to Kay and to Sean for coming and sharing. And in the end, I do think it is a very hopeful conversation when we can be proactive. Please take a moment to check out the show notes to find links to information where you can support your families and your communities in regards to this topic. Thank you for sticking around and listening to this entire episode. I promise I'll be back next week with another amazing conversation here on the Recourse Podcast. You guys have a great day.